Yeah, so did you take Leroy out today yet? Well, we always start our day with a walk. So, of course, we've been out. Yeah, I... Um, and he might be... He might make a... That, a little appearance in the form of squeaker toys in the background. That's so perfect. I'm I'm totally fine with that. In fact, that's like one of those. Like I feel like I should ask everybody on the podcast that. what kind of dog they have because it's like if you're a mountain athlete, you have to have the mountain dog, right? Exactly. <laughs> yep. I, uh, yeah, Leroy is a hundred percent mountain athlete, mountain mutt. Who knows what he is, but. <laughs> He is a survivor. He had an initial, you know, rough childhood with a broken leg and has overcome that. So, well, geez, Uh, who is his dog physical therapist? Uh, It was 360 Pet Medical, and I believe they even did some underwater treadmill work. Are are you you being actually serious? I am being actually serious. That's awesome. My dog, uh, Jackson, I think you met the other weekend when we were skinning. He was with our friend this weekend. Uh, Mac and I went skiing in the Tetons, and we left him here with one of our friends. And he was jumping around the back of her car and sliced his leg on her, on her skis in the back of her car. So he's running oh, around no. the house now. It wasn't, like, bad, but it was just enough to where he needed a couple little stitches and we kind of glued it shut. But it's like, of course, Jack – I mean, he's had more ski injuries than I have so far this year, so – All right, welcome back to the Mountain Athlete Podcast. I'm AJ Sabrilski here in Bozeman, Montana. And today for episode three, we've got a great guest, Becky Schweitzer, fellow Wisconsinite, longing from the Great Plains in the Midwest and now living in Bozeman, where again, I'm kind of going through our Mountain Athlete Podcast with everything here. Um, Becky's going to be a great person to have on the podcast today. Looking forward to a lot of the big things and uh, opportunities we're going to have to chat with her about. Just a little intro on Becky is she's a very, very well-versed in the mountains, very well-versed athletically. She's currently a Butora, Gnarly Nutrition, Friction Labs, Organic Climbing, Mystery Ranch, and Northwest Alpine athlete, um, and is also a very large community member um, in a lot of different facets as well, including working at Uphill Pursuits here in Bozeman, where our initial pilot episode, we had Matt Madsen on and discussed a lot about the awesome community outreach opportunities they have going on there. Um, today in the episode, like I said, we're going to get a touch on a lot of great topics, a lot about, uh, you know, again, those different roles that Becky has served in the outdoor space, probably about Becky's story getting into the mountain athlete um, or and being a mountain athlete, some of those big accomplishments she's had, and then, you know, the outreach opportunities, injuries and hardships, and just a lot of them along the way. So without any further ado, I'd like to get rolling here with Becky. Hey, Becky, how's it going? Hello. Thank you for that introduction. Yeah. Um, I'm doing That's well. That's great. Yeah. I'm, I'm very happy to have the, of the three episodes I've, or podcasts so far I've recorded, two of them are fellow Wisconsinites. So I, I feel like there's a great trend of great mountain athletes stemming from a place with no mountains. Right. I think we grow up in Wisconsin and just crave something more. And we just start traveling west. And as soon as we get across the Dakotas and land in Montana, we're like, oh, it's home. home. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's a great segue right into usually how I start this, these conversations is, but what was your intro like 
two kind of mountain sports or mountain recreation and 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 in those first kind of how did you know this was the arena you wanted to play in well i think for many years i didn't really know i initially went to school to be a marine biologist which has really not a whole lot to do with the mountains and um was also a collegiate soccer player and so with those two things, I landed myself on the East Coast pretty firmly for many years, and things eventually fell apart, and um, soccer was an incredibly big part of my life, and all of a sudden, it was not a big part of my mm -hmm. life anymore, and I could probably talk for a couple hours about that transition, and it's mostly irrelevant, but long story short, I realized that maybe the coast wasn't my long-term home. And I was frequently making more trips to the mountains of North Carolina, actually. Okay. Since I went to school in coastal, coastal North Carolina, and we would drive to the mountains. And so after I graduated in North Carolina, I peaced out and moved to Jackson, actually. Gotcha. Jackson Hole. So that's cool. Yeah. How, uh, how long were you in Jackson? I was just in Jackson for a little over a year. Um, it was meant to be a short-term thing. I was working for the Teton Science School and getting some master's credits. And as many people are probably well aware, Jackson's a pretty mm -hmm. tough place to make it financially. And if you're just kind of starting a career and when you're in your 20s, you know, you don't have equity right. to buy a home in Jackson <laughs> Hole, Wyoming. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so I knew it was just going to be temporary. And when I was kind of wrapping up my time in Jackson, I started looking around for the next location mm -hmm. to move. And Bozeman, Bozeman was on the radar, and I was lucky enough to visit here for a couple weeks. And I actually did some guest teaching at Longfellow, mm -hmm. the elementary school. And just fell in love with that's Bozeman. great yeah yeah i guess yeah. uh we're, let's just roll right into this you have a lot of uh experience or um have had a lot of opportunities in some outdoor education outreach and kind of community stuff is that something that you knew you wanted to get into or did that kind of evolve as you became just more of a active person or community member in, in these different settings Well, I grew to love teaching and specifically teaching in the outdoors. And I knew that classroom teaching wasn't going to be my path because um, especially in many states, not just Montana, but kind of an alternative classroom design or an expeditionary classroom type school isn't in the cards. And, you know, you'd have to travel to a major metropolitan area like Denver to really search out those alternative types of education. So I decided teaching outdoors was going to be my calling for a while. And so I taught outdoors for many years, whether it was uh, for Montana Outdoor Science School or up at Bohart before it mm -hmm. was called Crosscut. Um, I would travel back to the Tetons and teach down there. And so teaching outside was pretty natural for me. And that eventually transitioned to um teaching other things like climbing um and it's a pretty 
easy crossover going from teaching science to teaching a sport you're mm-hmm. passionate about. Um, so, so that was the evolution of that. That's it for me over the past. Gotcha. Decade and along so. the way, like that decade, were you always specifically climbing or were you doing other, you know, skiing, ice climbing, mountain biking, running or was, have you stayed pretty, um, I don't want to say isolated, but just pretty focused in the climbing realm. Yeah, that's a good question. Um, it goes back to kind of my falling out with soccer. And as soon as I realized that playing soccer at a competitive level wasn't in the cards for me anymore, climbing kind of took yeah. over. And I found a new community with the outdoor um, I ended up with the outdoor center at the university that I was attending in North Carolina. And it was my newly adopted family. And you know how it is going from a team sport. I think many people can understand as a team, you feel like family. And then when you mm-hmm. lose that family, if you move away from team sports, there, it, it, there's definitely a hole left in your life that you're kind of looking to fill. And so Um, I was lucky enough to have a really nice outdoor center at the university I was attending and climbing really filled that hole in my life after I stopped playing soccer. And so I carried that over moving to Jackson and then moving to Bozeman and being in the mountains really opened up the skiing as well. And a little bit of mountain biking, a little bit of trail running. Um, But to answer your question, I grew up skiing in Wisconsin on a landfill, by the way. Which landfill? Which is rad. <laughs> uh, the landfill was called Sunburst yeah, yeah, Ski Area. Yeah, All, good old what, Sunburst. All vertical feet, right? And <laughs> at least. And um, so once I moved to Jackson, I was like, great, I can get back into skiing. And um, that passion was reignited. And so climbing has always been kind of number one with skiing, a little bit of running on the periphery, um, ice climbing yeah. as well. No, so. that's cool. I, I, I can totally understand growing up in the Midwest and, and like you having been a part of a lot of team sports. And I did do some individual, you know, more individualized sports along the way. But that transition into some of these more outdoor recreational things that you can do alone or you do have a partner or a smaller group of people has been has been really cool. I guess in in terms of your transition from, again, those team competitive sports to some more of these mountain type activities, what does it mean to you to be a mountain athlete? Yeah, I was thinking a lot about this question over the past day or two, knowing that we are going to talk about it. And um, I think being a mountain athlete and what that means to me has evolved over the years. I think initially it was very individual, you know, very me and the rock climb. And I'm going to try to do my best to see if I can go from the bottom of this rock climb to the top of the rock climb, Um, which I think a lot of that motivation is still there. However, I've realized over the past 10 years, um, being a mountain athlete and being in the mountains is really more about connection. Mm -hmm. And that connection comes in a variety of 
contacts or a variety of facets. And obviously you have a connection with your objective. Mm -hmm. So whether that's a rock climb or a really long ultra, ultra race you're going to run or um, maybe a, a mountain bike race that you're participating in or a cool trail ride, you know, that's your objective. And so you have that connection and you, at least in rock climbing, you kind of build a rapport or a relationship with a, with a rock climb, which I think is really special because at least in rock climbing, you are taught a lot about life, about yourself as you're in the process of figuring out how to do this rock mm -hmm. climb. But I think what has evolved for me, especially in the last few years, is the connection with my immediate kind of outdoor athlete family. So folks I climb with, um, the people I gather with on a more regular basis, especially now in this pandemic, you know, I've just been climbing with like right. two or three people total. And having that connection and sharing those experiences of being in the mountains and being in a beautiful place and um, being thankful for where we live here in Montana and all mm -hmm. the public lands we have. So there's a connection there. And then it shouldn't be, we shouldn't leave out the connection with the larger community. So, you know, I've got a lot of friends in Salt Lake and I'm sure you AJ have friends in flag and, and all the places that you've lived throughout the last few years where you're all part of this mountain community together as rock climbers, potentially as trail runners, um, yeah. you know, really pick your sport. But I think we're all advocating for very similar things. It's representation, it's protecting public lands, it's leave no trace. Um, so I've just become more and more aware of those types of connections and how important it is that we all just realize that we're in this together and we need to yeah. uplift and yeah. support wow. each other. Uh, so that was, you hit a lot right there in, in that, that, that quick little bit, but I, I couldn't agree more that, you know, again, I, I initially kind of started this little podcast wanting to talk, you know, just cool outdoor objectives, you know, and PT and me is like injury rehab stuff and, and along those lines. But, in the last couple I've done, it, it keeps, there keeps being a, this very overarching theme about who we are, what we do and why we do it. And, and again, you hit it right there is about that kind of that connection with what we're doing outside, whether it's biking, skiing, climbing, running, kayaking, whatever. And then also the people or the community and the, you know, that, that thing we share with every, with the other people doing it. And so that's really cool to hear. Um, would you say that, you know, at any point along the line in your evolution as an athlete, there's been a key or very distinguishable um, defining moment in who you are in that community or that world in that realm? Um, yeah, potentially in kind of late 2011 or 2012, um, I was definitely going through some relationship things mm -hmm. as many of us go through as we're kind of making our way through this life. And I found myself at Spire Climbing Center yeah. a lot, like a lot, a lot. And um, I needed that time and I needed that time alone 
because it was my escape. And a lot of folks use athletic endeavors or weightlifting or, you know, running just to clear their heads and to find um, a little reprieve from whatever's going on in their everyday lives. And I was really using my time at Spire and to train for climbing as that escape. And over those years, I'd say 2011, 2012, 2013, I started um, just making more and more connections with folks in the climbing community. Um, I had been a part of Spire since the year after they opened in, in 2005, they opened in 2004, but I had never really made mm -hmm. a lot of lasting connections. And um, I think kind of when I was going through some life stuff, I just started to value um, the connection with people through climbing. And I made some of my, you know, best climbing friends during that time. And so sometimes those, those crappy life events that are sometimes unavoidable and that we all kind of deal with at some point right. can be really big turning points. And, and for me, it was kind of that slow evolution of, gosh, even though climbing is fulfilling this, physical need for me to clear my head and to, to get a lot of exercise and get some endorphins. It's also starting to provide uh, a personal community for me with, you know, a bunch of female friends I connected with that I'm still friends with and still climb with today. And um, so that was really, yeah, kind that's of really cool to hear point for me. Um, I think even when I, the, from when I met you, it was clear that, you know, you had a great community of people surrounded by a lot of, very supportive, like-minded, you know, just really, really good individuals. And that's, that's something that you can tell really quickly about somebody that, about what kind of person they are by the people they're surrounded by. So that's really cool to hear about that ability to make that connection and the way that Spire provided that for you. I know that I'm over there a lot too. And then that community that that area or that, that, that <laughs> creates over there is just, is great. Um, you know, beyond that kind of, yeah. yeah. Oh, I have a question for you, for AJ. It. So as being kind of a kind of a newer person into the Bozeman community, sometimes I always worry about how welcoming we are. You know, I've been in Bozeman a while and and sometimes you get mm -hmm. trapped in your little hole of, you know, the same people, you know, people and you just kind of stick with those people. Did, did you find the climbing community here? How did you find it as you were entering as yeah, kind of a new no, good person? Good question. And uh, I've made, you know, two bigger moves in my life. And I've had kind of been asked in both places, been asked this question by a couple of people, because I think when people move to these, you know, places, not really knowing anybody, that is difficult for some people to find that nature, that group or their people, their community. For me and here, I would say I've found a pretty good closer group of people to climb with um, compared to where I was living beforehand. I think I definitely had a broader group or, or, you know, community to that I was a part of, but I also had lived there a little longer. The initial part of getting into, you know, a couple of these little niches or groups of people was, I don't want to say it was hard, but it, you know, it's, there's always little barriers to break down. I, I was really lucky right away when I moved here to both meet you. And then uh, you introduced me to a couple of people for sure that, you know, now it's easy enough to, 
say hi to at the gym or head out with. And I, I think for me, you know, the people I lived with were climbing and working at Excel and running into climbers and then seeing them at the climbing gym and just being in that atmosphere all the time. And I'm not the shyest of people. So I, you know, I will, <laughs> I will just strike a conversation or approach people <laughs> and have no problem doing that. But I could definitely see how it would be intimidating. Although I do feel like Bozeman is a place, especially right now where a lot of people are coming to it in a similar um, you know, they're new here. They're not from here. They're all, we're all seeking kind of the same thing. So that allows for a, some openness in it, but there are definitely some doors that are, you know, tough to knock on and tough to get into for sure. But no, great question. I think it's hard wherever you go. Um, whether it's in right. the, you know, finding people to mountain bike with or finding people to ski with, but I would say as, as a whole, the hardest part is just taking that first action. And I think because, most people in the activities we're doing are relatively like-minded that very few people are going to say no or going to close the door or not be inclusive. It's just, you know, it's, it's really just taking that first step is what I think. Yeah. 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 Well, that's good to hear. I always, I always worry about people kind of coming into our community, whether it's moving to Bozeman or, um, trying climbing for the first time. I just, um, I always want to be aware of trying to be inclusive, but also know that, you know, everybody's human. And sometimes when I'm at the climbing gym really early in the right. morning, I'm just in my own head and I don't say hi to everybody. Yeah. So that's good to hear that you're, yeah, it, it's been, been great. And then mostly I, mean, positive. I guess I, I should thank you. I back to kind of how you and I met, we were sitting in Louis and Val's house in Ten Sleep in the summer, and I was like, I I literally just got the job, I think that day in Bozeman, and I don't remember who it was. We we're like, oh, well, Becky's from Bozeman, and then you know you were extremely open and willing to give me ask you know answer answer any of the questions, even in my transition or even when I got here again at the climbing gym, just you know saying, oh hey, you know, and this is so and so and so and so, and it's it's been again you've been it's people like you that make that easier, and I think because of the you know, the voice and the you know, who you are in the community here, um, I think whether you realize it or not, is is very powerful. And by you leading with the, that kind of example, will continue to make it relatively good and easy for most people seeking those things. So, so thank you for that. Yeah. Yeah, I hope so. <laughs> oh, you're, you're totally welcome. That's the goal is to. Is to yeah. And I guess, you know, stemming from that, you've folks. had a good. Yep amount of whether it's the climbing community or the mountaineering community um or just you know the outdoor recreation and and activity engagement stuff how have you seen that change in these mountain towns like jackson or bozeman as these sports continue to grow is it becoming more inclusive less inclusive is it harder to get into what what are you seeing those trends are or barriers are Um, well, I think it's a tough question to answer coming from somebody living in Bozeman. I think my answer is going to be really different mm -hmm. than somebody in Denver or Salt Lake. Um, I would like to believe, though, I'm just speaking from my experience as, you know, a white female, um, that 
we would be inclusive. You know, that said, it's so easy to get into the trap of, oh, I'm just going to call, you know, these two or three friends, mm-hmm. and these are the go-to people to go on an adventure and not even consider that there might be somebody else in the community that you could potentially really click with and could be a great partner in the future. Um, so I've been thinking about that a lot, actually. And, you know, I think Spire, the climbing gym, used to have like member meet and greets and member potlucks. Sure. And hopefully after the pandemic is over and we can get together in person again, it would be really cool, you know, on some August evening to do some sort mm-hmm. of gathering where you can just hang out and eat some good food and and just not have anything to do with climbing or alpinism or mm-hmm. um, any of these sports and just get to know folks. Um, so, but this is coming from a girl who didn't care about any of these barriers growing up. Like I was the first girl on the boys mm-hmm. baseball team in my little town in yeah. Wisconsin. And I didn't, I didn't care. I didn't care what people, what people thought. I didn't care what the other boys thought. I just wanted to go and play baseball. And I was like, well, I'll just go play with the boys. Like, why wouldn't I? Um, and so that was my mentality growing up. So it's pretty hard for me to flip that switch and um, be completely aware of some of the barriers now that exist with getting into our sports, whether it's running or, or biking or skiing. Um, yeah. Just because no, it's I, so different than how I, I, I can grew understand up. that too. I mean, I can see what you're yeah. saying coming, um, coming from a similar situation where it's just like, God, we were just going to do it, but that's interesting to hear. And, and one of the things that I definitely wanted to bring up and talk with you about today was kind of that the representation of, a female mountain athlete or women in mountain sports. I mean, I, again, being a white privileged male, I don't, I don't understand those hardships, the difficulties that lie in getting into them or finding partners or groups or doing that. Um, and it, you've worked a little bit on some like women specific clinic stuff and, and, and a lot of that outreach, right? What, uh, what, do you mind elaborating right. on that a yep. little bit? Yeah. Sure. Um, I think, you know, a lot of the women's movement, as far as women in sport, originated in the 90s. And that was the time I was growing up. And um, again, like we talked about, I didn't, I, I wasn't super aware of different gender barriers with sports growing up. Um, I played baseball with the boys. I played soccer with the boys and it just seemed normal to me. And it, I didn't, I didn't really acknowledge gender at that point in my life as far as, Oh, you should be doing this with girls or you should be doing with this with boys. It wasn't even a conversation in my mind. I just wanted to play soccer and that was it. It was like period full stop. I'm just playing soccer and it didn't matter with who, with whom. Um, and so it is tricky, like you mentioned, to kind of change this mindset to become more aware of the sports that we participate in and um, the different types of barriers, whether it's financial, whether it's, um, you know, travel is a big barrier too. just getting to, 
some folks get into mm-hmm. places where they can actually ski or actually go climbing. And um, I'm not the best person to to figure out how to deal with those barriers, even though I do have some pretty good ideas about like financial barriers. And I think we're making really good progress with trying to get gear and equipment available mm-hmm. for folks to try climbing or try ice climbing. Um, but as far as the, the gender stuff goes with, with women, um, I grew up in a time where, where we just went out and did our thing and it wasn't expected that we have like a women's only clinic or a women's only team. And that has kind of evolved over the past, you know, 20 years, I think probably the the last 10 years in particular, but I do find value. And I think a lot of females find value in trying a new sport or progressing in a sport with other females because there's a little bit more of a relatable experience going on. Um, And so I think it is important, even if people don't feel like they need to take advantage of it, it is important to offer, you know, like a female only clinic where if you want to progress, let's say in rock climbing and you feel more comfortable doing that in front of other females, like that's sweet. Whatever we can do to get you to progress and become more comfortable moving on rock. That's great. We should offer that. And I've been a part of some women's only clinics and we've just had excellent discussions about, um, you know, fears and trepidations and women specific training and how women move a little bit differently than men on rock, because there are some differences, especially with centers of gravity and different strength differences. Um, so it's just a kind of a nice forum and a d- different context to provide to all those ladies out there who want to try rock climbing or progress in rock climbing um, to have sure. an open discussion without feeling like we're excluding anyone. You know, if you are in a mixed gender group and all of a sudden you just start talking about, um, you know, how women's hips, you know, need to be. Uh, thought of when do when doing a specific move in climbing because the center of gravity is more at our hips and I could just see a guy standing over in the corner being like well that doesn't apply to me and and so it's just nice to have a a place where we can address some of these things and not worry about um not worry about anything except addressing some female specific yeah um, no it's things that it's, it's great to hear you sport. say that like, yeah. great to give the have the hear those examples and hear kind of how things are changing or how to change it again it's moving to bozeman and uh again you're one of the first individuals i met here clearly a amazing person athlete community member and then again one of the f- other first people i met here was again a mutual friend of ours rachel glass who, again another great person, powerful, strong woman in the outdoors. And even in my close friend group here and my, my girlfriend is it's, you know, there, there's a lot of amazing <laughs> women doing some really badass things around here. And it's, you know, it, that, that's what I kind of, one of the things people are always asking me about Bozeman is like, it's unbelievable. And it's great to have and see all that. And I think it's cool to hear you talk about kind of that reminder and from a whole bunch of different perspectives of, how things are different, how we can be more inclusive, how we can kind of 
maybe not, I mean, close the gap to some degree, but just continue to be, you know, people about it and normal about it and, and just kind of keep it normalized between who, what, when, or, and everything. So that's, that's a unique thing to hear. Um, one of the things that had came to, was kind of like, I never thought of it. And just because I know you work kind of in outdoor, in outdoor retail space right now too, is, uh, a little while ago, my close friend group was talking about, uh, gear and clothes and this and that. And the phrase pink it and shrink it came up. And I was, and I was like, what, what do you guys mean by that? And like, well, they just take men's clothes or, you know, men's recreation stuff. And they just, shrink it a little bit and turn it into color pink and then they make it women's and I was like I never even thought of that but I mean it's so true and it's kind of interesting to hear you know or to think about how that is again how the community is kind of driven one way and we're trying to see things come back the other way so are you seeing even in beyond the inclusive nature of sports and stuff but anything different in like your work at uphill pursuits or in the in the industry in general for you know closing kind of some of those gender barriers Yeah, I think um, the shrink it and pink it was definitely a thing. So there's, there's legitimacy to that phrase. And I believe we've moved beyond that and outdoor companies have um, progressed and transformed into something more than just shrink it and pink it. I think there was a point in time mm-hmm. where companies didn't know what to do. They knew that there was a demand for gear for women um, and they didn't really know how to handle that. And so they just thought, well, you know, we'll just take this men's jacket and make it a little bit smaller. Maybe the dimensions are exactly the same. We'll just make some smaller sizes and give it a different color and call it women's. And I think that happened in a, a variety of ways across, like in a, in a variety of, um categories whether it be skis or running shoes but let's say in the past five years i think the number of women designers has increased and i'm not going to say it's increased by a lot but you know luckily we've had another member of the community Jeannie wall has actually done quite a bit of work Mm. with a number of outdoor companies as a clothing designer and you know her job over the past 20 years has been to recognize that women have different needs in the outdoor world and even though the hard goods like the skis and the um you know ice tools and and such they don't need a whole lot of modifications for females you know (laughs) an ice tool is an ice tool you're give me some petzlnomics and I'm happy as a clam. And that's probably the same tool, you know, my boyfriend's using and the next guy's using and the guy after that, you know, he's got the same tool. Um, however, especially as far as soft goods go, anything you put on your body, like clothing, I mean, there's obviously differences. And so, you know, mm-hmm. women tend to desire more insulation. We have different kind of proportional differences with like the rise in pants. Um, And so the number of women designers, you know, is a little bit better than it used to be. And I think the majority of companies are kind of getting on board with realizing that women need just a little bit of a tweak from a typical 
men's item to make it work properly for them. Um, but as far as representation goes, I, I believe a lot of companies, especially companies that are willing to throw down sponsorship money, are recognizing that we need to elevate, um, you know, women. And then in the larger context, especially most recently, um, people of color to, to show that everybody can do these sports. And um, it's a nice trend, especially, mm -hmm. you know, when we see these crushers, you know, Ann Gilbert is one of them who lives in the Bozeman community. And she's been doing big mountain objectives for a long time. And she has finally mm -hmm. in the past five years gotten awesome recognition for what she's doing. Um, so I, I, I'm happy that the tides are changing and just, you know, social media is such a blessing and a curse. And many times in this case, it's a blessing because we can see these awesome ladies out there doing really cool things. And it yeah, provides no, you're hundred percent correct. It, it is, it is really cool to see well. that and to have more of those women, you know, own that and get that spotlight that they deserve. Uh, in, in those situations and accolades and i know my goal is to <laughs> surround myself with as many you know crushers and badass women as as i can and I, it's a uh, it's always helped me and i totally enjoy it and i you know there's a good balance there's a time to go out and hang out with the dudes but it's it's always it's really good to have that blend and just to see everybody kind of be uplifting everybody as as a whole so that's really cool to hear Yeah, and don't get me wrong, I love climbing with guys. I think I think it gets it elevates um, me personally as far as uh, drive and desire because there's a lot of really strong um, male climbers in Bozeman. And again, going back to my background, like I didn't care who I was playing soccer with or against, and. Mm -hmm. from my personal experience in the outdoors like I don't care who it is um so I don't want to come off as being like oh it must be this way or you know the women must always be climbing with women because that is not the case at all I'm just saying you know some ladies like to climb with other females that's totally fine and some ladies like to climb with guys and that's totally fine too and um yeah, I, I just like seeing people as climbers or runners and um, trying to break down yeah, those no, other that's, descriptors. That's a good way to. In a, in a perfect that's world, a good, that's, that's how a I good way to have it and a good way to represent it. And that's that's awesome to hear. Um, again, the, the PT in me wants to chat a little bit about, you know, any potential. Again, you're, you're a sponsored athlete, so there's got to be some pressure to compete perform, provide some content, you know, maintain a high level of, of activity. Um, has there been any injuries, hardships, or kind of setbacks that have kept you from that? Um, yeah, that's a good question. Thankfully, the two major climbing injuries I've had, which is pretty awesome that there's just two big ones that come to mind have not kept me completely from climbing. Um, 
One was actually years ago, I had some shoulder issues and ended up with a cortisone shot. And the doctor said, okay, I'm going to inject this cortisone. Um, it's going to allow for the pain to go away. So you can use your shoulder more freely and build up the muscles that have been atrophying because you've been favoring the shoulder. And wouldn't you know, he was exactly spot on. I am not mm -hmm. a doctor. I'm not a PT. I don't know how people feel about cortisone. I'm just relaying my experience. <laughs> and I actually left to go for a climbing trip to Rumney the very next day. <laughs> so um, everything was super solid and I could continue climbing, you know, somewhat carefully at the beginning, but then I was probably back to full strength within um, four to six weeks after that. So I felt pretty lucky that, um, you know, whatever was going on was alleviated pretty quickly there. But the most recent thing was um, just a little finger tweak last February. And, you know, as a climber, if folks out there aren't climbers, like finger issues can be a super big deal because <laughs> they can persist and yeah. the hand and the fingers are like super complicated. And AJ, you can probably attest to that. Um, and so it's like, Ooh, the dreaded finger injury with the climber. It's kind of like if a runner would have like a mm -hmm. knee injury or foot injury, it's kind of a critical piece of equipment that you need is your hands when you're climbing. And thankfully, um, I have a super good climbing coach, and his name is Chris Hampton. And um, with him, I kind of developed a plan to continue to climb, just be a little bit more careful and calculated with what I was doing and how I was doing it and how much load I was placing on that finger. And I would say within, let's see, this was in February, April, May, like by May, it was probably pretty close to full strength again and you know you would be the best one AJ to talk about this but I think in climbing there's a lot of a lot of progression has been made with being able to remain um, active in your sport as you're healing an injury and so I keep on top of that stuff and you know with again with social media the blessing and the curse that it is it's really able to find really reliable sources of information out there and I think injuries aren't so much a barrier anymore as they used to be and a lot of injuries don't require taking a lot of time off anymore and it's actually better to keep using using that body part that that isn't feeling so great and as long as you're careful about it and follow like what a informed yeah, it PT sounds like has you've had say. again been very um, fortunate I think a lot to of stay folks can pretty healthy work around injuries. All the recreation and climbing and skiing and, and whatnot you've done in the mountains. Um, I will be honest, I cringed a little bit when I heard the cortisone word, but I'm glad you had a good response. And 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 I think it, cortisone in some in some facets is an okay thing, is, <laughs> and you yep. handled the whole plan of that well by again using it getting strong kind of using that as a window rather than just slapping it on and do nothing else about it but then like you said for the the hand injury I think the key is to have some good advice about it and again I don't know Chris personally I had a few little conversations via social media with him about it but 
he's a very well-educated, worked with a lot of climbers, very up on the um, climbing rehab or injury kind of knowledge. And, and you're 100% right. There's a lot of injuries that don't need full rest. In fact, that would probably do more harm than good. Um, there's, you know, an avenue for everything to get better. And usually the key to that is to figuring out what went wrong, why it went wrong, and then slowly and gradually building that back up by, like you said, you kind of modified your climbing. I, I like to use the term skilled neglect. So, you know, if we're not completely avoiding things, but we're going to modify what we're doing appropriately to allow things to calm down. And then it was, sounds like a great progression, starting slowly, listening to how the body responded and, and building it back up to the point we needed it to be a hundred percent. And that's, you know, PT 101 is calm it down and build it back up. And it's just figuring out where those barriers and where each of those lies for each person with their injury. But yeah, that's awesome. Good to hear. Yeah. And you know, I'll, I, I'm comfortable speaking for Chris in that he will be the first to acknowledge that if it's beyond his wheelhouse, like he will give people um, he'll he'll farm it out. He'll make sure you know a good co- a good coach will make sure you're getting the care you need. However, like I said, finger injuries are so commonplace in climbing that there is this developing protocol where mm-hmm. you don't necessarily need to to just stop completely. And um, and so I was comp- confident in his assessment and being able to, you know, prescribe certain things that um, allowed me to keep climbing. And it was just like you said, listening to your body a lot and um, yeah. having just no, a really slow progression back um, into, yeah. I, you know, I, performing I, I, at I totally 100%. Agree. And I think, again, the key is just mm-hmm. really having some good, accurate assessment to it. If somebody who has an understanding has seen it before and then developing a good plan that involves a lot of what you're already doing and, and, and establishes a plan to get back to what we're going to do to that. So that's, that's great to hear. Um, Becky, with all the outdoor activity stuff you're up to right now, would you have any big goals or objectives in the near future? Anything you're trying to tackle or take down or work towards? Um, yeah, you know, there's always projects out there that either would like to be started or have been started already. And there's a couple things around Gallatin mm-hmm. Valley that, uh, that I've started working on and need to be finished. Um, just single, single pitch climbs. Um, you know, we're really lucky during this pandemic time that we live in a place that has a lifetime's worth of climbing. And um, so because of the pandemic, I stayed around town a little bit more over the past eight or nine months. And that's provided a great training ground. I mean, Montana in the Bozeman area is a great place to get strong. Um, But more so, the pandemic actually threw off um, a pretty big plan. And I'm not sure if that objective is going to get put back on the schedule or not. Um, but it, it involved some just big multi-pitch um, limestone climbing in Mexico. And Mexico boasts 
Um, we had really Chico big, long, bolted Salto. limestone multi-pitch climbs. And <laughs> yeah. Um, no, neither. <laughs> but um, but someday I would love to go to Potrero. I think yeah. that would be a really good training ground for just busting out, you know, 20, 25 pitches and trying to do that in a single 24-hour push. And um, Mexico is home to a ton of places, cool. even ones that aren't super well-known, that just have these stunning bolted lines. And so, so I think I would like to explore that a little bit more. Um, you know, to be quite honest, um, I'm more at home with clipping bolts than <laughs> plugging trad gear. And I, I'm, I'm not shy about telling everybody that. <laughs> um, so those are a couple things that I've got on the list. It's, you know, we're all kind of playing a waiting game, just hoping that the, this vaccine and the pandemic is just going to chill yeah. out a little bit and subside and potentially go away in the next six months, maybe, I don't know. Um, so as, as an individual and as a, as an athlete who does enjoy climbing in other places, aside from Bozeman, Montana, um, it's been tricky to plan, but, um, that said, there's so much around, Montana and Wyoming that, um, yeah, no, you know, even totally Idaho agree. has got I'm some really great lines with you on the, that hopefully in the near future, we're able to here. make some kind of plans, whether or not it's yeah. climbing trips or family trips or just to, just to get out and get moving and interact with more people. I think, I think we're all ready for that. Um, well, just to kind of tie up here, I, I, I think we touched on a lot of great things and a lot of great topics, and yeah, we could probably sure. talk about things for a long time. So maybe we'll just have to have an episode two with you on. But um, before I cut you loose to probably go out and get a ski in or get back to the gym and get some climbing training in, do you have any big advice yeah. for the listeners or, or anybody who's kind of actively actively trying to pursue some outdoor objectives or maybe even just getting into the outdoors? Yeah, I, I do. Um, you know, we've already talked about like making friends and certain barriers, like social barriers when entering a new community. But one of the things that I really like to advocate for is, especially in climbing, but I think it's very applicable in skiing as well, just having your systems dialed and knowing how to be a really good partner. So in the climbing world, um, you know, when you're climbing a pitch of rock, there's obviously a climber and a belayer and the belayer keeps the climber from hitting the deck. And to me, it doesn't matter at all what type of climber you are. If you're just a beginner climber, if you're an intermediate climber, if you're working on a climb that other people might view as super easy. I don't even care. What I care about is like, will you keep me off the deck? Will you be a good partner? Do you know how to belay safely? Do you know the systems and climbing? And the same could be said, let's say for a backcountry skiing that, um, you know, as a backcountry skier, 
let's just make sure everybody's on the same page with like knowing how to use their beacon and staying on top of the avalanche report once we get snow. And I think sometimes those skills get glazed over a little bit and we put too much emphasis on ability and not enough emphasis on just being a good partner um, and having a good attitude. Like, I don't care if you're a great skier or like a, an Olympian, as long as you know how to use a beacon, if you're kind of even halfway fun to be around, if you've got good snacks, like those are the things I think that bind our community when we have just this really great human connection Ability doesn't matter so much. It's all about just being a good partner. Um, and so especially with climbers, you know, when I would do clinics for female climbers um, or anybody, really, it doesn't even matter. It's just making sure that you're all on the same page with safety. You're all on the same page with communication and the rest of that stuff, whether or not you can successfully do a climb, it doesn't matter as long as everybody's safe and they have fun. Yeah. And, no, um, that, that's you know, great. you're respectful towards others in the environment. Those are kind of the, the things that really make a difference. Regardless of ability is a part of the whole process and can make the day or the entire, you know, outing, outing worth it. And like you said, it doesn't matter whether you're climbing the hardest grades or skiing the hardest lines. If it, You know, like for me, it's all about, are you psyched? Do you get me energized to have fun and do this? And then I, like, are you dependable? Do you know your systems? Are you able to keep us safe? Are you, are you, are you able to be, you know, an active member, both intelligently and physically with it? And, and that's, that's key. I, I couldn't agree more. Um, quick little uh, rapid fire question here for you, since you just brought it up and it's on top of my mind. What's your go-to outdoor activity snack? What's, what's always in your bag when you're climbing, skiing, or mountain biking, or running? Yeah, totally. Um, if I need a quick sugar hit, which happens gotcha. quite often, I love Got the it. I'll know now if, cliff if we ever head shot out block in the salted watermelon flavor. What I need in my pack. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, thank you so much. I think, you know, again, I'm looking forward to running to India at the gym or at Uphill <laughs> or out on the ski yep. there again soon or doing some of those things. I'm sure our listeners have a lot to digest and think about. And if they've got questions, I'd definitely love to hear them. And just thank you so much for providing all that perspective and insight and information for us. Oh, no. Yeah, you're welcome. And I thank you guys, especially everybody at Excel, for just staying on top of how to keep everybody healthy and getting after it in the mountains. And um Thanks to you, AJ, yeah, for providing a really nice platform. If you just have any ideas of people talk about things to get and on to highlight the Bozeman community things, a little bit, just, uh, let me know and I can try to reach out to them. But yeah, it's been great so far. Awesome, cool. Well, we'll call that the end of episode three. Uh, thanks everybody for listening. Like I said, if you have questions or awesome. anything you want to Sounds hear more good. about or discussed on this podcast, by all means, leave a comment or shoot me a message. And as always, when you head outside, make sure you're wearing your helmets, check your knots, and make sure you're beeping. Thanks much.